Welcome to the Seekers Quest. I'm Radha Pretty, one of your co-hosts, and I'm here with Veda and Cece, two of my good friends and teachers. And uh, how are you guys doing today? Yeah, I'm doing well. Still in Mayapur. I'll be leaving tomorrow morning wow. back to Mumbai. So. Wow, yeah, I saw a video of you like giving a lecture to like a massive room of people. It's like, wow, to put that on ours. You're doing a lot oh. of work out there, huh? Yeah, that's a national youth convention over here. There's several hundred students from all over the leading universities of India. They come once a year to Mayapur. So that's like the spiritual headquarters of the Bhakti movement here in India. One of the spiritual headquarters. This is a vacation. So it's a youth retreat. Wow. I came back to India primarily for that. That's oh. amazing. You're just like dom hopping. Vrindavan and Mayapur. Blessed person you yeah. are. That's my fortune. <laughs> what about you, Vita, How are you? No, I, I want to know more about this thing. What's going on with all the students gathering in Mayapur? This is the first time I'm hearing about it. Oh, this is, this is basically Radhisham Prabhu is one of our biggest youth outreach initiators and he has youth centers all over India and all those youth come together once a year uh, toward the end of this, toward, in the summer vacation. So that is the camp that Radhisham and I used to take it together before I started traveling abroad. And then I didn't have the time to come, but now this time he insisted that I come. So I plan to finish my U.S. tour and then come here, come to my airport like that. Yeah, Radhisham is a powerhouse. Yeah, it's true. So you're in Mayapur now. <coughs> yes, bro. Are you in Atlanta now? Yes, yes. How are you keeping? Yes, I'm doing better than I deserve. As that's how I feel. Not out of humility, it's just something I feel today. Yeah. Well, I think I deserve better than I feel. <laughs> I can't lie. I have to get my wisdom teeth taken out after this, and I'm really I'm dreading it. <laughs> so does that mean you're no longer wise? or <laughs> Maybe. I guess we'll see on Tuesday. There's a good chance wisdom is going to go down. So, what are we, what are we, what is our agenda today? Yeah, you know, Susie Veda called me this morning and said, what are we talking about this morning? And I said, I have no idea. Isn't that great? I didn't even ask. I'm like inspired by our last um, class of detachment. I'm like, I'm detached, Veda. Let's see where it goes. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I don't think that was a desirable effect. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, okay. So, the so last time we we started a discussion on detachment, and I think we came to a good point in that. So I'll recap some of the points from there, and then we'll move forward. So broadly, we're discussing what detachment means and what it does not mean. So one of the things is, at one level, detachment, it doesn't mean letting go of things so much as letting go of our expectations of things. That might be, but it's more of letting go of our expectations of things. And in that connection, I discussed about how we could have attachment and its opposite could be aversion. Your audio just got a little bit strange. Something just changed. Yeah, that's better. So, so it could be non-attachment or it could be divine attachment or spiritual attachment. So, we also explored the option of or the point that sometimes even when we are detached there is a part of us which still stays invested in some things and that can keep us fixated and to prevent that from happening we need to develop this higher attachment so we don't want to go in this direction, we could say. This is not the direction we want. Being averse to a person is quite bad. What is most recommended is to develop a higher attachment. Um, your serve, your connection is seems a little bit spotty, CC. And your audio is still not as good as it was at the very beginning. Okay, is it yeah. better now? Yeah, that seems better. So you were just okay. saying there's the three kinds of attachments here. You have aversion, you have non-attachment, and you have spiritual attachment. Um, it's back to spotty. Really? Yeah. No. We can, but it kind of tends to go back to spotty. Anyway, Veda, you can start speaking. I'll try to fix this. So, 
let's okay. yeah let's have a little chat on this one and when you when as soon as you start showing this attachment topic i immediately my my, my mind immediately goes to this uh, text from the bhagavad gita chapter 2 uh, vishaya vinivartante nirahara sade You want to read the translation to that, uh, uh, Radhapriti? Yeah. Which one? Which one is that? Uh, Vishaya. I think it's two. Sixty-one. Sixty-one. Sisi's got the whole thing in his head. <laughs> oh, okay. Two fifty-nine. I'm just showing it on my screen. Can you see it? It's it's fifty-nine. So you're saying CC yeah. yeah. So it's though the embodied soul may be restricted from sense enjoyment the taste for sense objects remains but ceasing such engagement by experiencing a higher taste he is fixed in consciousness. Yeah so I I every time we talk about attachment I think of this verse because we're not trying to give up attachment we're just trying to be attached to something that is higher and 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 when we have that higher attachment when we are attached to something higher then only we are able to give up lower attachments and this is something that i have noticed in life that it's really hard to ask someone to give up something So in my practice I don't tell anyone to give up anything. I just tell them to add something to whatever they're doing and gradually gradually because their attachment to whatever it is that I'm offering them from the path of bhakti then they become a little bit more attached to that and gradually the layers start to peel off. you know like a snake it starts to shed its skin have you ever seen a snake shed its skin i actually observed this whole process when i was growing up in the monastery there was a lot of snakes oh. we grew up with snakes and and uh and uh all kinds of other creatures you know tons of snakes though tons of snakes jackals and different You kinds. actually saw skin come off a snake or you just saw the skin after the snake No no I'm... no the, the the snake was shedding its skin Wow you saw the process huh the process Wow I never seen the process It was quite fascinating because and you know from something that looks their skin looks kind of uh, old and 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 and, and scabby and they just start gradually moving their bodies and they start to shine again and this is how i see this higher taste when we are uh, giving up not giving up when we are attaching ourselves to something that is higher and it's tasty then gradually this old habits and old behaviors and old reactions start to change So that's I'm sure you have noticed that when you started practicing bhakti naturally you stop drinking smoking because you just don't find it is no longer tasteful something that was once uh, your craving is no longer that craving 
Yeah, I feel like it takes a little bit to get to that point because when you first start, sometimes it's it's not it's not so pleasurable. Like it takes some time to to actually really feel the benefit in your life. But if you stick with it, like I think the other day when CC was talking about the poison, getting through the poison to get through the nectar, then then it becomes then it's like all of a sudden just opens up and it's all you want to do. <laughs> it's like, uh, TV is boring. I'd rather read the Bhagavatam. <laughs> but it it takes some time, I feel like. Yeah, and the yeah. funny thing is that even the spiritual uh, alternative that we uh, recommend people to practice, even that seems bitter. And so therefore, uh, just holding on, you know, I had jaundice at one time in my life. Not just one time, a couple of times. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that disease, but it, it your body complexion changes and it's you feel very weak. Your eyes are all yellow. Everything about you is yellow. And, and it. I think it takes a toll on the liver. So in India, what they do is they, they give you palm candy. Imagine palm candy is really sweet. But because you have jaundice, because we're sick, that palm candy really tastes bitter. And I have experienced this. And just keep taking that palm candy over a period of time because that's one of the medicine for this disease. And you eventually start to taste the sweetness of the palm candy. So, uh, you know, I think they call it, yeah, candy or jaggery. So this whole principle of having a higher taste is, is really uh, latching onto something greater and just holding on and holding on every day, gradually the taste starts to appear. The, the real taste of the palm candy, which is very sweet. So this is how I see this whole thing of attachment. Yeah, it's nice too, because in bhakti, there's so many options. Like you can chant, you can do kirtan, you can I mean, you associate with devotees, you can read. So for me, when I first came into it, I was really into chanting, but I wasn't so drawn to reading the philosophy. I was just really into chanting. But then I just did that a whole lot. And then eventually I was I got in touch with you guys and you guys inspire me in reading CC, especially with his attachment to the Bhagavad Gita and studying it. I was like, I want to be like that. So then I'm getting more into it. And then I'm experiencing a whole nother realm of this nectar to the sweetness with that. So it's nice how there's so many different options that it's okay if you're not super into all of it or any of it. Just maybe one thing and hold on to it. Sissy, is your Chitanya Prabhu, is your uh, audio working? Are you back? Is it working better now? Can you yeah. Sounds good. Can you hear Okay, good. So, yeah, I think we this example before that oh, we're losing it. 
things that taste like poison in the beginning but like nectar in the end and conversely things that taste like nectar in the beginning but poison in the end can you hear me now yes yeah so you could say this is often what the gita calls as healthy happiness 1837 and this is unhealthy happiness so is we often have to make a choice okay, will we go will we go this way or this way so the idea that there are some things which don't feel pleasant in the beginning so this pee is poison but eventually there will be nectar so we just need to persist through the poison till we get to the nectar and that is not so easy but if we do it then it becomes easier we just push through it and what other they mentioned is that in one sense the bhakti offers us many different activities even within the spiritual domain so you could say that in the spiritual domain in some activities the poison might be more in some activities the poison might be less in some activities the poison might be even lesser so for example somebody may find spiritual music very enjoyable and there's practically no inner opposition to that and somebody else may find spiritual music to be say uh, maybe spiritual wisdom it's interesting sometimes sometimes i don't find it interesting sometimes i find it too demanding maybe the poison is a little bit more so this is variety in spirituality so while there is poison it's not always there and if we can learn to push ourselves through that poison to the nectar we can be much better situated in our life so you know i had this experience that uh, like you mentioned about my love for the bhagavad gita i don't know whether i have really love for the bhagavad gita but i do have attraction for it and sometimes when i'm reading the bhagavad gita and something just i can't figure it out what does this verse really mean or you know this verse is saying this thing and that something else is said over there so how do i figure this how do i bring the reconcile these two points what's going on where so when i can't figure it out it is but if i push my you can't figure it out it is what actually it's like poison it's struggle i'm struggling in it oh, okay it's like poison yeah. in the beginning but eventually when i get some understanding when i talk with uh, others who have studied the bhagavad gita who are contemplating it then i find that hey 
once i get that insight it's so much more relishable it's so much more precious it's so much more enriching so i feel uh, this principle we all permeates in a relationship with the gita but we all have experience of this principle that sometimes the what is demanding initially it turns out to be fulfilling eventually and sometimes the more demanding it is initially the more fulfilling it will be eventually so we need our intelligence are always demanding right now but let me push through it and i push through it then it will become fulfilling it's like somebody plants a tree it takes a lot of time to for the tree to grow only for a year but once the tree grows it will be there for decades it will power offer shade it will offer fruits it will offer natural beauty so watering for years is like the initial poison there is some effort but then you have shade fruits flowers beauty nature all that for decades so that's like poison and many times relationships are like this that relationships are also like planting a tree initially you have to push ourselves we invest in that particular relationship and then afterwards the after the effort is been put in then we have fulfilling relationships so any comments so should i go to the next theme no this one's good i think is fascinating how in the spiritual world in the spiritual uh, spectrum of things we invest in something and the return on investment is very high whereas in mm. material there is also a lot of variety in material enjoyment and material relationships and and more time and energy we invest in those material relationships because it doesn't have a deep spiritual foundation then it leads us to so many disappointments in life and when we do the comparison it seems like it's always nice to look for something that will have a very high return on investment even because we looked at varieties of material uh, spiritual enjoyment right because i always think of comparing the two worlds we we live in this world of duality and there's two worlds that we live in material world also offers so many varieties of association so many varieties of excitement just as the spiritual world does <laughs> you know material world offers so many kinds of different drinks and after you the initial phase of it the consequence of that is is very severe but same in spiritual life if we start getting into kirtan and it it does get very intoxicating getting into seva 
you can get lost in serving others. And so the return on investment is very high in spiritual life. You mentioned of watering the tree. This is a beautiful one because it does take initial lot of effort, but the fruit it bears and material relationships because it doesn't have a solid foundation. And, you know, it's like a revolving door. This in and out, in and out, and the end is so unfulfilling. We feel so lonely, even though we have so many friends, because we were never able to connect from that spiritual uh, level. Mm-hmm. I love that you just brought this point up, Veda, of the spiritual and material, because I feel like before I came into spiritual life, I was really focused on material, really focused on my career, getting the next promotion, getting the next job, getting. And each time I did, it was like, oh, this is so awesome. I'm so accomplished. I'm doing so well. I just got a nice fat raise. Um, But then it wasn't very long until it was like, okay, where's the next one? And then each increase, it's like my responsibility is increasing. My level of stress is increasing. My like, it's just, it just everything keeps increasing with that. It's not just that I'm making more money. I have prestige. A lot more comes with that. And what I found when I got into spiritual life is this return on investment, like you said, is literally infinite. Like if you spend all day chanting the, 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 um, euphoric, the connection, the euphoric feeling, the connection just increases. There's no, there's no stress. There's no nothing. It's, it's just increasing. So then what I found was, okay, this is my material life. I'm going to situate myself on a rung on the material ladder where I'm comfortable and I'm happy and I'm getting what I need from a, like taking care of my maintenance perspective but it's but I'm not much more than that that I'm going to start incurring extra stress and responsibility that I don't really need and then I'm going to use that to support my bigger spiritual practice and every, all the other resources I have left inside of me I'm going to give to that and then in that way the return on investment for my entire life is optimized you know I'm situated on a certain rung of the material ladder and I'm really just using that as a foundation to really invest in my spiritual life because I recognize that's where I get all the return. Yeah. So yeah. very nice. I also look at return on investment from this particular angle that everyone is a beautiful spirit soul. And they're innately joyful, loving, and kind, right? So my goal is not to connect to their material side and connect to that spiritual side of that person. Because then there's something I can, you know, there, then there is, the reciprocity is, 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 is even greater. Otherwise, if we just keep relationships superficial then, and, and on material level, then there's not much. It doesn't go very deep. So, Chaitanya Charan Prabhu. Yeah, it's a good point. I was just thinking about this. When we are having a relationship, if we are relating with people, only at the 
say if either I could see the other person simply as their body, as the physical side or material side. Now when this happens, there is some attraction initially. So if I am looking at someone, there is at, attraction initially, but to the attraction, to the extent there is attraction, it leads to aversion. Because in one sense, the expectations that we set up from the other person, everybody is finite, everybody is fallible. We set ourselves up for disappointment. But if we see, okay, that person has a physical side, there might be something attractive about it. And beyond the material side is the spiritual side. And when we connect with them at the spiritual side, then in one sense, there can be a steady connection over here. The, the connection with the body is going to be up and down and eventually it will just go down and just keep going down. Whereas the spiritual connection, as we start understanding each other better, I start relating with people at a deeper level and we find that the what we how we grow through that relationship, how we evolve through it, how it helps us become better people, all that happens more and more and that is fulfilling for us. So that is the effect of spiritual relationships. That's one, one dimension that we are connecting with the part of the person that is enduring. Otherwise, if I'm connecting with the part of the person that is, that is not necessarily intrinsic to that person, then tomorrow when that person loses that, then whom are we really connecting with? What are we connecting with that person for? That is something which comes up. So, yeah, endearing means also, also very endearing, right? Sorry, endearing. Yeah, it's when you endure the spiritual side, then it's endearing. That's cute. And okay. I, was, I was also thinking this principle of, uh, you know, like how I was told, I've never drank in my life, so I don't really know, but I was told that wine, the longer you let it sit, the more valuable, more, it, more expensive it becomes. So with this spiritual relationships, the more we uh, 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 endure the initial poisonous effect of relationships and connecting to the spiritual side of the relationships, and the longer you hold on to that spiritual side of the relationship, the more valuable and more cherishable that relationship is. So that's mm -hmm. something I was thinking. I don't know if that uh, wine metaphor is appropriate for this, but I know that I was told that it becomes, you know, like the sages, the older they get, the more wiser they get, the more valuable they become. But in the material world, if you don't have that spiritual, uh, 
spiritual practice. The wisdom is not there. When they get old, they're just, they become, they're not no longer considered valuable or a liability on society. But in spiritual life, I mean, it's the other way around. Mm. What do you think about that? Mm. I, yeah, I had somebody once tell me, um, somebody I really look up to tell me, focus on the empowered side of the person, not the ordinary side. So the ordinary side can be the person who's, you know, unreliable or maybe doesn't always handle things the way that you think they should or disappoints you. Those can be the ordinary side. The empowered side is the person who brings people to to God, who makes people, uh, who, who um, inspires transformation in people and who exhibits that love for people. Um, and I think even like the three of us getting together and say, we're going to do this podcast together. We don't relate really. If it, if we were just three people and we didn't have this in common, we pretty much wouldn't have anything in common. Like we don't, we are so different. I mean, you two are probably more alike than, than I have in common with you guys, but, but because we're here and we're doing, and we're genuinely just trying to do this service um, and we're connected through that service and through our teachers we can connect actually on a very deep levels and have very deep conversations about very vulnerable things. And our relationships can be, feel very grounded and strong and in that so much more so than, than a material relationship where you're, you're coming together because maybe you both like swimming or something or, (laughs) or you bond over a sports team. It's like, it's, um, it's a whole different, like, ballpark really hmm. I appreciate that That's, yeah that brings us to this point of what we could call as the the divine center we all have different things around which we center our life and some people will center their life around their looks others on their bank accounts others on their nowadays say their social media profiles somebody else on their uh, reputation measure in some other way so in one sense all these everything else Apart from the divine center, it keeps us off-center. It keeps us decentered. It keeps us insecure. And when we have the divine center, then we'll find that we are able to find something at least in common. And not just something, but something that is deeply meaningful in our interactions with others. We find that which is common, that is similar. And that helps us grow. So that's one thing to reflect on that this divine center, what the Bhagavad Gita helps us is to see that we all have our connection. Sometimes I say that if I'm here, the divine is here, 
and the other person is here. So, ah, let me put it this way. Me, the other person, and the divine. So, we call the divine as Krishna in our tradition, God. So, we could say, this is one relationship. This is our second relationship. And this is the their relationship with the divine. So one, two, three. So the idea is that I'm using this one is that this relationship it's what gives us inner stability. When so the relationship our... between the should we explain this diagram just a little bit? You just do three triangles or three circles as like points to a triangle and then you connected them all. So you have the divine, you yeah. have me and you have an other. And now you're saying the relationship between the divine and me brings inner stability. Yes, true. So So the inner connection uses You're saying you're going down a little bit more. Okay, so the relationship okay, so between me that and other. Yeah, so that brings some level of maturity. Uh, because I'm not so dependent on my whole sense of identity and self-worth on that other person. So even if somebody that doesn't treat me the way I expect them to treat me. That may concern me, but that won't shatter me, that won't knock me down. And that enables me to have some maturity in my relationship with the other person. So, wow. so that outer maturity, point. when we have that, then in one sense, you could say that in one sense, we are less, there's less unhealthy attachment. It's not that we are not attached. It's not that we are not concerned. But it's less unhealthy, less unhealthy attachment is there. You could differentiate often, maybe this is one point which you could explore. There's a difference between, say, attachment and affection. Hmm? So, so, I care for you, so I need you. Attachment is, I need you, so I care for you. Wow. This is profound. So while it, yeah, so when I and I feel that there is a need for someone, and then as long as that person is fulfilling the need, then I care for that person. But when that person no longer satisfies the need, then not only do I stop caring, but I can also become angry and enraged and vengeful and vindictive. So this is you could say is little more self-centered. 
ஒருத்தர்ட்ட this is more selfless in the sense that here you know there is one th- on one side there is dependence and then on the other side that is controllership i want to control and dominate the other person because i need you and i need you to do this and i need you to do that and i need you to behave in a particular way and everything that i do in the relationship in one sense is 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 what you just went out and that kind of attitude. what did you just say everything in the relationship is what is i do it so that i can get you to do what i want from you mm so this is like codependency what you're talking about right here this unhealthy form of attachment yeah to some extent yes yes so just to so, do you have more so you can speak yeah please i just was going to kind of recap what you said here on the board cuz it if you go up a little bit higher it just was so nectarian you started by talking about this triangle and how the when we have a relationship with the divine it gives us inner stability um and then another part of leg of this triangle so to speak is the relationship between me and another and then you started talking about how that relationship can bring outer maturity and you made the point which i love where you said that outer maturity meaning that basically you won't define your insides based off of their outsides like if they are treating you in a certain way you won't you won't it won't shatter you because you are more grounded in who you are which i love and i feel like it's something that i needed to work on when i came into bhakti something that i needed to work on from childhood really <laughs> and um i'm continuing to work on so that point for me was like oh that's what outer maturity is it's like okay i see that you're acting this way i see that you're treating me this way saying these things i'm not going to take any of that to mean anything about myself i'm going to stay over here and know who i am and know where i am and continue to be kind and loving and and can have compassion for you in the way that you're acting without taking that on as meaning something about me that's golden okay so then when you moved on you said lust you you compared you started talking about some unhealthy dynamics in relationships and you said you made the point that attachment is not the same as affection you said that lust is more associated with attachment it's more of the mindset i need you for something so therefore i'm going to care for you so this to me is where i heard a little codependency come in i need you so i'll care for you and then within this things come like self-centeredness dependence controllership and you can see this so easily because if a person feels like they need somebody and that's where they're that's why they're caring for them then it's going to be very 
volatile. Like if that person isn't doing what they think they need them to do, then they're going to retract that care. And then the other person's going to feel that care retracted and then they're going to act out. So you can totally see where this dynamic is going to become so unhealthy fast. Whereas the opposite, I care for you. So I need you. I feel like this is how my husband is with me. I feel like he cares. He just cares for me because it's who he is. He's that's who he is as a person. And then I feel like our dynamic relates in that way. So I could totally see the two differences and how one can be really healthy and lead to like, oh, I noticed that you're caring for me. That's, that's really uplifting me. Now I want to care for you. Oh, I noticed that you're caring. Now I want to care for it. And there's like no strings attached. Whereas the other one, this attachment, I need you. So I care for you. It's, it's really so conditional. It's like so conditional because if you, again, since I need you, if you're not doing what I need you to do, I'm retracting my care. You're getting a less con- care. That's beautiful. I love this. Thank you for that. Thank you for re-articulating it. So precisely. I like what you said about your inside is not defined by your outside. You articulated much more clearly and uh, succinctly what I had said. That was quite nice. Hey, you know what? I stole that so from Michael on a show. He said that on the show the other day. And I liked it. So I stole it. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> nice. So thank you, Michael, for sharing that. <laughs> so, Vedaji, you want to make any concluding points? Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, this go up a little bit, attachment and love. I have a tendency uh, to try to analyze the, the the level of consciousness in the relationships. And as Bhaktivinoda Thakur, one of my favorite go-to persons, and he defines this level of this attachment that we're talking about, how material it is when he explains the four levels of consciousness are actions that are uh, determined by the, the, the emotion of fear, which is almost 99% of all our actions are guided by the emotion of fear and how second is by reward. And it's all material. And second, operational consciousness, functional consciousness is reward. And, 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 and third, he explains his duty and fourth is love. So we have a long way to go from attachment to affection and that love. And how I was, if you go down on this thing, when you defined, uh, go up on that thing, you see, and you defined so nicely how attachment means I need you. You know, it's, it's so conditional in this world that everyone, what they call love is actually attachment, is lust. And this is also very uh, clearly and many times uh, Prabhupada, founder of ISKCON, he considers this lust and not love what we see in the world because love is what you beautifully defined, partially defined. 
So therefore, I, I, I like this point quite a lot, how the functional nature of our consciousness in the material world is not up there yet. It's quite... Uh, it needs a lot of improvement, especially in relationships. So that was my... Yeah. It's a good correlation between fear, desire, duty, and love. So, no, I'll just quickly unpack that a little bit and then we can wind up. So, in fear and desire, the idea is that you have something and I don't want to lose that. I don't want to lose that. And therefore, uh, I. Oh no! You're going out again. You might I'm have to contrast. repeat that, CC. You 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 went out, so you might have to repeat that point. Okay. Okay. So maybe we'll keep this. We'll, uh, this will take some more time to explore. Maybe we can do this next time also. I think this is more loss-centered. I might lose this, I might lose that. So, when we are loss-centered, that's not healthy. That's what I was saying over here. Hmm. Yeah, so you're saying fear and desire, which we associated with attachment and lust, is very loss-centered. Yes, true. So, should I try to summarize what we discussed? Yeah, can I ask you a question real quick? Sure. Why did you say you don't love the Bhagavad Gita? I'm just curious. You, you said I have affection for the Bhagavad Gita. I wouldn't say I love it. What, I'm just curious what, what, that, what the difference is there for you. Well, I feel that the word love is sometimes used is thrown around so so casually and nonchalantly that sometimes it loses its value. Mm. So, in that sense, uh, I just am a little... You're averse to the word love. Sometimes I... Yeah, no, I'm not averse to the word love. Okay, that's the... I was going to say, play, what do you love more than the Bhagavad Gita? <laughs> no, I would say, I feel it's like the Gita is such an exalted thing that I find it's, it's a little presumptuous to claim that I love the Gita. Hmm? So especially uh, so like in the matter... Uh, yeah, the opposite of humility, in fact. Yeah, one of my favorite thinkers, uh, or you could say he was a favorite thinker before I was introduced to the Bhagavad Gita. So he used to say that uh, I don't believe in God, but I'm a, I I live in mortal fear that he may exist. I don't believe in God, but I live in mortal so, fear that he does exist. 
may exist. That may might exist. exist. So what he meant by that is, if somebody truly believed in God, that would actually change every one of their actions. If we knew uh, there was a divine which is, uh, which, uh, who is constantly watching us, through every action, we are reciprocating with that divine. Every action is having a bearing on that rela our relationship with the divine. That would bring a certain gravitas to our actions and who can actually claim that in reality. So, in that sense, I have a little... Uh, I don't even say uh, that. It's not that I'm afraid that God exists, but it's just that my life is far away from the level it would be if I, if I truly had love for the Bhagavad Gita. So I would say it's not just a duty that I have to study the Bhagavad Gita. So it's somewhere higher than that. But it's not exactly, I feel love is a bit presumptuous. That's why I don't use that word or I hesitate to use that word. Oh, okay. So you're like the gray saints who say that they like have no love for God, even though they like have extreme love for God through our eyes. I'm surprised, I'm surprised <laughs> that you realize that I'm a great saint so late. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm slow. I'm slow to the catch, but I see it now. I see the similarities. Level of humility. Check. Yeah, you should know my humility is my greatest quality. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you. So, let me summarize some. So, what I discussed today started by discussing about. Uh, how in our relationships, when we function, there are, uh, we did a quick recap of what we discussed last time, about how our relationships with others can grow through various degrees and they can be more selfless, less selfless. So I talked about, you know, we talked about connecting with people at a material level or at a spiritual level. So this keeps the relationship very external. This takes the relationship more internal. It's more, as Veda said, enduring. And it's endearing. Various aspects about that. And then I discuss the triangle in our relationships. The relationship with the divine. That brings relationship. So... There is stability through a relationship with the divine, and that brings maturity in our relationship with the other others. And in that connection, we discuss the difference between attachment versus affection, where attachment is characterized by I need you, so I care for you, whereas affection is I care for you, so I need you. And we try to move towards that level of selflessness, we move from fear to desire or reward to duty toward love. Maybe this, this is a hierarchy we could discuss more, 
in a future session also of course there are several other points to discuss but i wanted to keep the summary also succinct today if any important points i left out you want to add we can add them it's not an important point but an observation that i thought we should mention is that unless there is number 1 there is no number 2 so there has to be stability in your relationship with the divine in order to have maturity yes i'm glad you pointed that out just now cuz i don't feel like we stress that that enough yeah in one sense this is this is the sequence in uh, this 1 2 and 3 now this this is how the relationship goes so this has to be one that means that is the first we need to focus on and then we can focus on the second and then on the third sometimes maybe this is a theme which could discuss sometimes in a relationship we want to change the other person and sometimes that is what we focus on but we are not really trying to improve our relationship with the divine we are not trying to improve our relationship with the other person we are simply insisting that the other person change and that can be quite harmful because that alienates the other person you just unpacked all my life's problems in an hour you did it again both of you thank you mm. i don't know whether i did i pack the problems or i unpack the problems okay <laughs> <laughs> no so. I- wish i would have found you guys 10 years ago my life would have been so much easier thank you thank you so much hari krishna hari krishna please have a wonderful day everyone namaste